I guess that's my cue. <laughs> All right. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Awakening Together Satsang this evening. Um, Reverend Deborah, I see that you are there um, and just want to welcome you uh, into the sanctuary this evening. Um, I have the pleasure of, of interviewing, and I really don't want to use that word. Chatting with you would be better um, this evening, and I'm super excited to do that. And before we kind of dive into the conversation, um, I have been a regular live streamer of your services for years. Uh, ever since I saw you um, at Agape uh, one Sunday morning doing the service, and uh, I've been a, a regular follower ever since, uh, or at least a, a participant, and uh, your teachings and your ministry has certainly been near and dear to my heart. So uh, I just want to welcome you. And I think you're still you're you're still on mute. I said th thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Well, I do want to tell people a little bit about you before we uh, go into conversation. And there is a lot to know, uh, <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna leave a little space there for you to share what you'd like to share too. But for those who don't know you. Um, Reverend Deborah L. Johnson is the founding minister and president of Inner Light Ministries in Santa Cruz, California, um, which is an omni-faith outreach ministry dedicated to teaching the practical application of, spirit, of universal spiritual principles to all of life circumstances. She is also the founder and president of the Motivational Institute which is an organizational development consulting firm specializing in cultural diversity, serving the public, private, and nonprofit sectors. Um, and also- Jackie, can you turn up your volume? Okay, I think I'm is, okay, hold on. Is that better? It's not? Okay, can I, Reverend Deborah, can you hear me? I can hear you, but I had to turn up my own volume some. Okay. All right. That's better. All right. Well, I'm going to, I have my little mic here. So um, one more thing I wanted to share about you, and that is that you're the author of two books. Um, they are The Sacred Yes. You can see that. And they are your deepest intent of the letters uh, from the Infinite series, as well as uh, the living sacred yes affirmations for action. So I told you there was a lot to say about you. Um, <laughs> and that was the short version, everybody. <laughs> but welcome. And what would you like to share with uh, our, our participants here this evening? Just I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Very grateful to be a part of this. Thank you. All right. Well, we're grateful to have you here. Um, so, you know, in, in starting, um, just kind of chatting a little bit, um, I, I think it would be helpful, you know, if you could just share a little bit about your spiritual journey, where you started mm -hmm. um, and where you are today. Okay. Well, um, actually, that's a subject that's very much alive with me at the moment. Um, I just eulogized my mother at her funeral a couple of days ago on Wednesday. Um, so it took me way back to my roots. Let's, let's put it that way. Um, I was raised in Los Angeles. 
my mother had the primary like responsibility for the the religious training. She and my dad weren't exactly on the same page, but I grew up very fundamentalist, evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal. I grew up in the Church of God in Christ, also known as the Holiness Church. Um, and my pastor was one of the big world leaders in that. So he was gone a lot. So we would often get the traveling missionaries that were coming in from all over the world. So I got a chance to see a lot. And even though I didn't always resonate with the theology of it all, I bore witness to miracle after miracle after miracle. So I personally have never doubted that there was some kind of power, some kind of essence or whatnot in the universe. Where there was the struggle was really growing up gay in the Pentecostal church. Um, that was that was a little challenging, especially since I knew from a very early age that I had had a call to ministry. So I really struggled with that and finding my own place because the denomination I grew up in doesn't even ordain women yet. Um, that's how far. I've had to go in terms of giving myself permission. I discovered religious science, sometimes known as science of mind. They rebranded themselves centers for spiritual living not too long ago. Um, and I became a practitioner with them. I trained under them. Um, I graduated 25 years ago as a minister, uh, 35 years ago as a practitioner, like a spiritual counselor, healer. So I've been at this for a long time. I started my own ministry. We are an independent um, group, and I really focus on the universal aspect. Unbeknownst to me, I discovered I had this prophetic gift that I didn't even believe in in my Pentecostal youth, which was these downloads of these letters and these messages. I have hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, and there are some that are in a series put out by Sounds True. You just held two of those books. The first volume is The Sacred Yes, and the second volume is Your Deepest Intent. And integrating all of that with my corporate MBA background has been, <laughs> it's been a journey, <laughs> but I'm here. <laughs> it's beautiful. You know, um, uh, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, um, there was a TED talk you did a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it was a Santa Cruz TED talk. I'm trying to remember now. But I do remember that particular TED talk because you were talking about forgiveness. That was um, the Berkeley one. Was that the Berkeley one? Okay. Um, the Berkeley uh TED Talk was one that was really focused on forgiveness and why we should forgive. And um, I wanted to see if you would be interested in just sharing a little bit about, about your take on forgiveness. Um, there is this alter ego person uh, <laughs> better known as Wilhelmina. Um, you all haven't met Wilhelmina yet. You might tonight. I don't know. But um, and how all of that kind of like uh, <laughs> meshes together with your message around forgiveness. 
So I'm a spoken word artist. Um, and I often will create essentially these monologues. And one of my, I have this alter ego, Wilhelmina, who's straight up from the hood, who has issues with spiritual stuff. I call her our emotional ventriloquist because she blurts out what everybody else is thinking and, and feeling. So it's a good mirror reflection um, of us all. What I would say about forgiveness is I think that it is an oft misunderstood concept and term. Um, we tend to think of forgiveness as something that we do for somebody else, something that we do on behalf of someone else. Um, and that's really not the case. Uh, what forgiveness does is it shifts your relationship to what has happened and what has gone on and dislodges you from the sense of you being under its impact and its influence. It is equivalent to what we just heard I was hearing about meditation that, that you become aware of so you can turn your attention around. So the forgiveness is actually the gift that you give yourself. It's the gift that you give yourself. And here's the thing that love and forgiveness are flip sides of the same coin. What we call unconditional loving is being in a state of perpetual forgiveness. Now, the reason why I bring that up is because most of us put forgiveness on the back end. We think it is a reaction and a response to things that have happened. But forgiveness has to be an intent, an intent that's on the front end, just like gratitude. You don't wait till something happens to be grateful. There's a spirit of gratitude, an attitude of gratitude that becomes a lens so that you are more appreciative of everything that goes on. It's the same thing. When you put the forgiveness up front before stuff even happens, you take the Velcro, the sticky stuff off so that it doesn't stick to you. Then you can go on about your life and your business standing in the spiritual power and the truth of who it is that you are. That's why we sometimes say like God is love or life is love. The universe is love because it's in a state of perpetual forgiveness. It's not holding on to anything. It's the greatest gift you can give yourself. I love that. And um, I saw where Tina put in the chat, forgiveness is the gift you give yourself. Yes. That is so beautiful, yes. And if I can say this, um, having grown up with a lot of Bible, and you know, I realize that there are a lot of different you know, spiritual traditions and all of the rest of that, um, but the New Testament, which, which covers Jesus's life, was first written in Greek. Our earliest records are actually in Greek. And there's a verb tense in Greek that we don't have in the English language. It's called the present imperative, which means to do something continuously and repeat it. So it's in the language itself. And whenever Jesus is being quoted as saying love, forgive, or anything like that, it's continuous and repeated. So we think of mastery 
is when we've done something so often, we don't have to do it anymore. Mm. But mastery is when it's so ingrained, you don't have to think about it anymore because you've so embodied it. Mm-hmm. So there's always other levels of forgiveness. It's not something you check off the to-do list because you grow, you mature, you have greater understanding. So as you grow older, you think, oh God, I thought I forgave that before. Well, you did at the level that you could, but now that you have matured, there's always another level. Mm -hmm. There's always more math. (laughs) That's right, that's right. Yeah. And just that perpetual forgiveness um, until you just, you know, until there's nothing left. Right. Um, and until then, there's always an opportunity to forgive. There's always something. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, you know, w- there's one other area that I- I've heard you say many times uh, before your congregation. And I I heard you say it on the TED talk. um, And it always stops me because it just really touches some of the truth. And what I've heard you say uh, is that the only thing that ever needs to be healed in the world is a sense of separation. And you use that a lot. Can you share, tell us why you use that? What does that mean to you? Yes. Um, I actually first heard that from my mentor, uh, Reverend Dr. Michael Bernard Beckwith. Um, I'm one of the founders of the Agape community with him in Los Angeles, and I modeled my community after that. Um, The only thing that ever needs to be healed is is a sense of separation. Everything is part of a universal wholeness. There's absolutely nothing that's outside of the infinite. But what ends up happening is that our ego minds don't understand that it is one with the whole. Our ego self gets its sense of itself through contrast and comparison. Mm -hmm. So it's forever looking for places of differentiation, but it fails to understand that being individualized doesn't mean that you are separate and distinct in the sense of not being connected anymore. Whenever you look at your life, any problems that we have on a personal level or the collective level is always born out of a sense of separation. Separation from our good, our wealth, our health, security, um, each other, ourselves, God, and with that sense of separation or the universe, however you define it, Um, With that sense of separation, we start putting in human measurements to try to fill in that gap. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How's that working for you? Um, (laughs) Or us. (laughs) And it's just a sense of separation. Okay. It's not real. It's not real. And all of healing is always the journey back to oneness. Now, the reason why this is so important is that our lives are not governed by the facts of our lives. Our lives are governed by our stories. It's our narratives. It's our interpretation of the facts. It's 
it is in fact how we name it. So if you go into therapy, you go into recovery, you go into any kind of healing program, they're not trying to undo the facts. You can't unring the bell. But what they are helping you to do is to shift your narrative about it, to shift how you think about it, how you were naming it, and particularly to get your power back, so to speak, because in our narratives, we disempower our own selves. <laughs> we, we, we collude with the oppressions, the, the lack, the limitation, or whatever that is. And we can try to heal all the things outside. But if you don't heal that sense of separation, it's not going to make any difference. If, if I perceive myself as separate from wealth, my identity is being broke, I could win the lottery. Mm -hmm. And I'll just be a broke person with a lot of money. <laughs> and it True. won't take me long before I lose it. Because I'm not resonating with the vibration of wealth. Mm -hmm. So instead of us searching after people, places, and things to try to fill up those gaps of where we feel separate, we do better going inside, recognizing that what we're looking for, we're looking with, we already are it. It's who we are. Understanding that and learning how to embody and to live that. And from that place, we draw into us the things that are congruent with that. But we're always going to draw to us what is congruent with our consciousness. Yes. Um, you know, you made me think of two things. One, I, I used to always hear Reverend Beckwith say, um, uh, you don't get in life uh, what you want, you get in life what you are. Um, and those are the things that, that, that come to you. And then the second thing that you, you pinged on um, was so important about just, you know, um, we have to be it, the thing yes. that we, and we already are it, as you just mentioned, right? Uh, what we're looking for, we're looking with. And I always loved hearing that because it just really had a, a profound effect on me. Um, uh, one other thing I wanted to, to chat with you about before we talk a little bit about, about your books is, um, you know, you've talked often about getting that inner, hearing that inner guidance. Um, and, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, you know, during one of the services, you were talking about how, you know, it's that inner guidance and intelligence and intuition that's talking to you before you get to the stage because you don't often know what you're getting ready to do. So there's some there's a lot of trusting happening that 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 is going to show up and give you what you need Amen. <laughs> when you hit the stage, right? <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about you know trusting that inner guidance uh, that's that's always there for us. Yeah. Um, everybody believes in something. <laughs> we, we may not all have the same theological constructs, but everybody believes in something. And, and another word for the divine is something. Something told me. <laughs> something, something, something told me. <laughs> and, and I'm sure everybody knows what I'm talking about. When, when you go against 
the something that's telling you, you pay for it. <laughs> and, and, and when it doesn't work out or, you know, some mess happens, it's that, oh, yeah, you know, something, something did tell me, like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> and what I've learned is, one, to trust it. To trust it because whatever it is, it's very smart. And to be willing and not willful. Okay. And sometimes the voice sounds like your own. So we're not really sure. But for my own life, I've learned a few things. That voice is always affirmative. Mm. It doesn't tell you so much like what not to do. That's an overlay interpretation that I put on it. So let's say, for example, I'm driving along and all of a sudden I get this urge not to move forward and go into that intersection. Okay. Chances are something inside said, wait. You know, or or just stop. Not don't go in there. <laughs> if, if that makes sense. That it's yes. it's like it's usually very affirmative. Two, it doesn't defend itself. It doesn't give you a whole bunch of rationale and explanations and wherefores and whys and hypotheses and justifications. <laughs> it's just very simple. <laughs> it is relentless and persistent. Okay. It, it, it will not stop. And if you don't hear it the first time, it's going to come back a second time and a third time and like a fourth time. And what I have learned, there's actually a, a, a companion to that series that you were talking about, the Letters from the Infinite. It's a musical companion called Singing the Sacred Yes. Um, I co-wrote half the songs in there with, with my ex-wife, Valerie Joy. It's actually under her name. But the first song that we ever wrote together is called A Whisper is Enough. Mm -hmm. And it is one of those spirit letters that's put to music. One of my favorite lines in that whole series, thousands and thousands of pages, is drama is optional. Mm -hmm. <laughs> drama is optional. And I have found in my own life that the more I pay attention, listen and act on it. Actually act on it, the better my life is. Mm. It makes me wonder why I'm hard headed. <laughs> why any of us are hard headed. <laughs> yeah. So now my practice is. I'm not always aware that that inner voice is talking to me, but I am aware 
when I'm being difficult and saying no, mm. I'm aware of that. <laughs> and I catch myself more now. So in, a, in an example I'll use quite often because it happens to me all the time, something says, take your umbrella. And I'll be like, I don't think it's going to rain today. <laughs> take your umbrella. Then I go get my phone, check up the weather. You know, oh, well, it's, yeah, it's, you know, take your umbrella. Well, you know, even if it does rain, that's okay. But take your umbrella. You know, it's like I'm coming up with all of these different excuses. Just take the umbrella. You know, it could have been out the door. Um, so, so now I'm just learning to watch how much I try not to do something. <laughs> Which is like a cue, right? That's my cue. My, my uncle, my mother's younger brother, used to always tell me, uh, the lazy man works the hardest. And I didn't understand what he was saying, but he used to tell me that I spent so much time trying to get out of my chores that if I had just done them, it had been over. So it's kind of like that. Like, like my no takes so much more effort than yes would. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and less time, right? <laughs> yes. You know, this, this is a perfect segue to, to talk about um, the two books, because, um, you know, there, there were the, they came to you as, as downloads that you got. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how you received the messages, the letters, how they came to you? What was that? What was that for you? When I was first leaving my corporate job, I used to be a real estate investment manager with Prudential, investing pension fund money. Um, into, into real estate projects. Um, when I was first going to leave that, uh, Reverend Michael told me to go see this woman. This was in August of 88. Her name is Reverend June Gatlin. She's in Los Angeles. So for the first seven years, maybe once a year or something like that, I would go to her and I would get this message. And it was literally in the form of a letter, like a chapter of your life, punctuation and everything. Um, and these letters were just profound. Then seven years later, um, I hit this really dark place in my life when I was really starting to do my surreal surrender process into getting into ministry. I was like 38, 39 years old, you know, at, at the time. Um, and I was very broken up. I was in a divorce kind of situation and my former partner had just moved out. And I was actually in Toronto at the International Association of Business Communicators. I was a, a presenter there at the Intercontinental at the Intercontinental Hotel, had a nice suite, like 280 views. And I went into the sauna. I write about this in the preface of the sacred. Yes, I went into the sauna. I was just in so much pain. I was like, God, just take me now. There was nobody in there but me. And this light, the incandescent light that was up in the ceiling and total fog. So I, I couldn't see anything. It was the steam room. 
And I had this out of body kind of death experience where all of a sudden it was like a carousel where I was shown these frames of my, there was no judgment, no judgment, but these frames of my life where I hadn't loved enough. And then eventually I got to go into the pool and to baptize myself. Still nobody in there but me. And I went and I just fell back. Then I went upstairs and something said, something said, get your computer. And I opened up my computer and my hand started just flying, just flying across the computer. And I was like, whoa, whoa. And I'm reading this stuff like, whoa. And, and I recognized the vibration. I recognized it. And then within a few years, when I wasn't in a position to actually write, I took the chance to verbalize it. And that's what I do now is I verbalize it. So what's printed are actually transcriptions of messages. And I got hundreds and hundreds of these things, sometimes for other people, sometimes for other stuff. They go the gamut from very personal to bigger issues. So, for example, the sacred yes, the progression of that one takes you into issues that deal with more with spirituality and religion and the church and that kind of stuff. Your deepest intent, the letters are sociopolitical mm-hmm. um, towards the back of that. So much so that I actually dedicated that book to the United States of America. Like what is our deepest intent? Uh, and the, the letters are really they're honestly profound, and I, I haven't found a thing yet that I can argue with, which is amazing for decades. I can't argue with any of it. The sacred yes has been out for 20 years now. So, I mean, there's letters and letters and letters. I may not like the information um, because it was a lot like publishing my therapist notes because it's commentary about us as human beings, not like my journaling mm-hmm. and commentary about me, you know, who, who I am in the world. That, and putting that, that out there, right? Woo, girl. In <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah, ah. the very first letter I got from June, Lat- from, from June Gatlin, she <laughs> said, your life or whatever, speaking through it, said, your life will be an open book. Mm. I had no appreciation back then for how literal those analogies typically are. Mm. Well, I I know, you know, as I have, um, you know, skimmed through your deepest intent, there are so many um, wonderful areas that just is worth sitting back and contemplating, you know, that's all you do with it. Yeah. You don't just, you don't read. You don't just read that book. Exactly. <laughs> Take a little chunk. That's right. A couple of paragraphs and you sit. <laughs> and we do a lot of contemplation in this community. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it really is. Um, and I found it um, just to your point, you can't just read it. You have to just take a piece. OK, let me see what this is. What is this saying to me? Right. Yeah. So that I can get a deeper understanding of it. Most people um, just flip it open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To whatever you're led to. Right. Yeah. So um, 
you know, I, and thank you for sharing that about both of these books. And I'm sure we'll 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 put in the chat where people can um, access it. I think you can probably order them on Amazon. I think that's where I got mine from. Right. Yeah. You know, the demand has been so high. You, you can't find like the hardbacks and whatnot anymore. But I can I can if you if you contact me or even go to my website, um, if you go to info mm-hmm. at Deborah L. You know, we'll make sure we hook you up. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. just now going to another fulfillment house. That's I have some excess inventory that I've just shipped over there so it can like start circulating some more. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I do have excess inventory of the sacred. Yes. Unfortunately, I don't have excess inventory of your deepest intent. Mm-hmm. However, both can you can get electronic versions on any of the books, you know, online bookstores. Or like um, a Kindle uh, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I do have um, the hardbacks that I'm more than happy to, to ship to people. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, there was one other question I wanted to ask you about, um, and that is, I've heard you mention um, several times also about a shift in consciousness. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the sense of a shift in our consciousness on the planet at this moment. Yeah. Um, consciousness, consciousness doesn't always grow evenly. Kind of like if you have a child, your child has growth spurts. They don't just grow. Well, it's the same way with consciousness. It, it, it isn't just this level thing. We have growth spurts. And for whatever reason, there's an energetic quickening in the cosmic field right now. Anybody that's awake for at least the past five or six years, you felt it. It just seems like everything is moving faster. (laughs) And it is. (laughs) And that includes sort of like our consciousness. And we're at this extraordinary evolutionary moment. And I want to make it very plain to people. Now is not the time to be afraid. Mm. Now is not the time to be scared or, you know, fearful, bullied or anything like that, that those of us who have been meditating on and praying for and working towards global transformation, we've helped usher in this moment. Mm. See, anything unlike where you're having Anything unlike what you want to manifest has to come up to be healed. I was talking before about forgiveness and love. Okay. People think a commitment to be unconditionally loving is a commitment to live in bliss. Mm -hmm. Your commitment to be unconditionally loving is your contract to become intimately familiar with every condition you have ever put on love. Mm. 
Because the only way you're going to get to be unconditionally forgiving is to learn to get over your conditions. It's the same way that the only way we're going to make it to that world that works for everyone, we got to deal with what's not working. But you can't heal what you don't feel. You can't heal what you don't feel. So there's this wonderful moment now where we're feeling all of it. And yes, it hurts, but I would rather us live in the pain of the the experience of racism. I'm not going to call it a reality because it it has no isness, but I would rather us live in that pain to do something about it than to keep being in denial that it doesn't exist. (laughs) Because when you don't know things exist, you can't do anything about it. You can't go into recovery if you're in denial that you're an alcoholic. So it is important that we experience the discomfort. (laughs) It is important that we keep rising above it and transcending it and not becoming immobilized by it. Because despair and giving up, that's one of the weapons (laughs) that's used to try to discourage the conscious. Mm. (laughs) Don't be bamboozled. (laughs) Don't don't fall for the okey-doke. Now is the time to stay awake. And to be happy that we are here for such a time as this. The world needs you awake right now, not afraid. Wow. That, that is, uh, you could just put a, a period right there. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be bamboozled. And you know, something about that, Reverend Deborah, really just, um, it just really touches my soul in such a deep, profound way because, um, and I've heard, this is one of the things that just, when I listen to you talk, I'm like, oh, I feel every bit of what you're saying. Like, I can feel that what you're saying is, 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 is truth. And um, because there's like, it's unapologetic um, in, in many ways in terms of just, you know, standing in the truth and not being afraid to do so. Um, and that just really, really is very inspiring to me. Uh, well, you know, a couple of weeks ago on the ninth, I turned 66. I ain't Happy got time. birthday. Thank you. I, 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 just, I just don't have time anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> to act like stuff isn't what it is. <laughs> You know, it's just like I said, I just buried my mama. I, I it's on. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's on. We just feel, deal, heal. Mm-hmm. That's a theme that's come up a lot in the book. And that's grown a lot of momentum. In fact, NDRE, 
did that in her concert. People have shown me some screenshots of her on stage and saying feel, deal and heal in the background. Reverend Deborah Johnson, apparently she was doing tributes to people who've influenced her music. We haven't even met. Mm -hmm. Um, Ayana was using it in in her master's class with Oprah, you know, this feel, deal and heal. And that's what it's all about. And the meditation practice allows you to feel. It allows you to get in touch. It allows you to deal with the stuff that's going on inside so you can heal it. Mm-hmm. And since you, you know, went there about meditation, you know, um, and how important that is, can you speak a little bit more about how that supports you on your spiritual journey? Um, that having a, a consistent meditation practice Yes. Um, linguistically speaking, the, the, the etymology of the word meditation comes from um, to become aware, to, to become aware of things. It is important that we... My head is spinning with so many ways to say this. Let me just narrow on one. (laughs) Okay. It it is important that we develop a contemplation that empowers us to transcend the material world. Okay. We are not our stuff. We tend to confuse the context of our life with content. The context is whatever, your profile, your profession, your relationships, and all the rest of that. And when we make that the content, then we're constantly stressing out and being governed by those things. The content of your life should be the truth of your essence as a spiritual being. That should be the content. And then you experience that content in various contexts so that you're walking around as a spiritual being having human experiences. We are verbs. We're not nouns. We are verbs. We, we are frequencies, energetic beings. And it is important that I call it calibrate. So meditation allows us to calibrate. It, it allows us to, to get back in touch with, realign with, resonate with, harmonize with the frequencies of our truth. So it's, it's, it's like listening to a, a pitchfork. If you're a musician and you, you keep moving the guitar strings or whatnot or the piano un, until you vibrate with that, because that's where the healing comes. That's where the strength comes. So we're all stressed out 
because we're vibrating with untruths. Sucks our energy dry. Gets us into forgetfulness. Impacts our health and all of the rest of that. So you need to give yourself a chance to meditate so that you can remember, remember, like put it all back together again. But once again, it's continuous and repeated. It's continuous and repeated. Um, in Hebrew scripture, it says, be still. Mm. And know that I am God. But this no is not a cognitive thing. It's an experiential no. It actually means sexual intercourse, too. Like he knew her in a biblical way. It, it's this kind of relational no, where if I know you, you know me. And it's saying that you have to go into the stillness to develop that relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I say the stillness, there are a lot of ways to meditate. Some people may do, you know, Tai Chi or Qigong or, you know, whatever. But the stillness is in your mind. Even if your body is in motion doing something, you're quieting the monkey mind. And that's when you will get refreshed, rejuvenated. Because that really is the only promise. The only promise of any spiritual tradition is restoration, is resilience. You're not promised a rose garden, life happens, injury, illness. We're all, you know, we're out of here. Death, divorce, every relationship, marriage ends. I mean, We're all going to go through the same stuff, but if you stay grounded, you won't be crushed by it. You'll be resilient. You'll be able to come back. You'll be able to look out on quiet eyes and know you're not it. And you have to give yourself permission to do that. And I dare say in this day and age, Because we are subjected to an unprecedented amount of information and stress and energy. You know, right now there are thousands of of radio stations and these airwaves, they impact us all over the place. So we have to be very deliberate about our energy field in making sure that that field is vibrating at a divine frequency and not freaking out (laughs) (laughs) with the stuff of the world. We're we're like marionettes, you know, this is the economy. This is politics. In my relationship, it's like this. (laughs) And, 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 And the meditation will like cut it Snap those strings so that you can, boom, you know, you can be centered. Mm-hmm. And it's like you, you said being deliberate in our energy, which is also like being deliberate in your spiritual practice, right? Yes. Being very deliberate about that. Yes. Uh, being deliberate about your um, 
your aspiration to to wake up. Yes. You know, all of that is has has some form of being a deliberate about it. Exactly. And not, really, not, and not what I always say, really nilly. No, no, no. You know, the word discipline and disciple have the same root. And we think of discipline sometimes as something that's put upon us or something bad. But discipline is the act of discipleship. When you're a disciple, you're wholeheartedly involved in doing something. Okay. And, and it is very important. Once again, in this society, we are becoming less and less disciplined, you know, with attention spans of a nanosecond. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And all of that being exploited for commercial purposes. So that deliberate, the focus, we pride ourselves in multitasking, but we're not the strongest then. We're the strongest when we're, it's like martial arts. Martial arts isn't about brute force. It's about focus. Okay, the martial artist is waiting for their opponent to break focus because that's when they're vulnerable, invincible. Mm. You know, there's, there's a way that we pride ourselves these days in multitasking, but in that multitasking, it's energy leaks. We're not in our true power. Mm-hmm. And, and your, a practice is necessary because it's like developing a spiritual immune system. Mm-hmm. See, you don't wait till you're sick to develop a physical immune system. And to develop a physical immune system, you need certain things. You know, you need food, you need exercise, you need rest, and they don't substitute for each other. You, you can't trade sleep for food and food for, for, for exercise. You need them all. Yes. Okay. So the same thing with your spiritual immune system. You, you need to be of service. And you also need to be still. <laughs> you, you, you can't substitute those. You know, you you need love and laughter, you know, and joy. And you also need to be present with, you know, the grief or whatever the stuff is that you're feeling. You can't just say everything like happy, happy, happy. You know, you you have to have that balance that's in there. So the meditation is part of the regimen of having a healthy spiritual immune system. And just like with the physical immune system, When your immune system isn't strong, you're susceptible. So you can be in a room full of people who are coughing and all the rest of that. If your immune system's low, you're going to catch their cold. If it's high, you won't. Well, thoughts are communicable. They're like (laughs) viruses out there. And if you don't have a strong spiritual immune, you're going to catch their viruses. Mm. Their thoughts, <laughs> you're going to catch all that. Mm. And like, no, 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 no. No, you don't, yeah. don't want to live your life like that. Yeah. And that's all because we, to, to your point earlier, right, we, we're all part of the one. 
Yes. Um, so whatever it is that we're thinking, we're sending out there, we're picking it up from wherever it is, right? Um, or we're putting it out there as well, <laughs> right? We, we do that too. Um, yeah. But, you, you know, I know we have like about six minutes left. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I do want to see if, if there are, um, if, if there's anyone that might have a, a question uh, for Reverend Deborah. And I cannot see all of the hands if you raise your hand. So if you do, why don't, why don't you just come off mute? Because I cannot see everybody on the way my screen is set up right now. So we'll see if anyone has any questions for you, Reverend Deborah. Okay. Oh, we do? <laughs> All right. So I was just made aware that we have a lot longer than I thought we had, Reverend Deborah. Oh. So, <laughs> well, um, uh, so I, I don't see any questions right now, but maybe people will have some a little later on. You know, one of the things that, that, that we, we talk about a lot in Awakening Together, you know, is being on a spiritual journey uh, to awaken to who, who we truly are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'd like for you to kind of like share a little bit about, about that as you share that with, with, with your congregation um, and, and the way that you share that message with them. You know, because there is, you know, thinking who you, you know, who you think you are now, right? Whatever this mind tells you, because our minds tells us we're, we're a lot of things. <laughs> but there is also waking up to our, your true self, right? Which is a, which is a journey um, that, that just doesn't happen. Well, I can't say that because maybe for some people, they wake up overnight and they got it. Um, and they're there, wherever there is for them. But for, for most people, um, you know, awakening is a is a journey right it happens over over time so how do you share that message with your with your uh congregants it took me a long time to really understand that life was not a destination that it was a journey. I was always trying to get somewhere. Mm. And I mean, fast. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was making straight A's at USC at 16. I was <laughs> running through life. <laughs> and there's no place to go. God is everywhere. (laughs) There's no place to go. I tell people all the time that you can find the divine at the top of the Himalayas or you can find when you hit the bottom, like in the gutter. (laughs) Same God, Himalayas, gutter. No matter where you go, that's all you're going to find. Some roots are just a little more scenic. (laughs) (laughs) and I think I'll take the scenic route (laughs) that life isn't about what we accumulate it's about who we become on the journey Mm -hmm. and I had to learn that if I didn't like the journey of life itself then I didn't like life Mm. I wanted to live, 
but I was told to be afraid of light. Mm -hmm. That's how I was taught. I was taught there were warring gods out there. You know, there was a devil that was always out to get you and to like make things hard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all the sociopolitical stuff that's going on up there. You know, I'm, I'm of that age of coming out, of, you know, coming into my own, you know, like the 60s and the 70s. And, you know, as a kid and, and you know, young adult and in college and whatnot. And those were rough years. Mm. I mean, it was everything. You know, it was the feminist movement and the black power and it was gay liberation movement and the Vietnam War. It was like all these things, you know, going on. And I was always trying to hedge against life. I don't know if he really said it or not, but Einstein is credited with saying that one of the greatest decisions you'll ever make in life is whether you think the universe is friendly or not. Mm. And I have found that to be so incredibly true. So now I have a friendly relationship with life and the journey of life. I'm fascinated by it. It's twist and it's turns. I'm not trying to control it because I do think that there's something that's a hell of a lot smarter than all of us that does a perfectly good job and doesn't need me micromanaging. <laughs> I, I, I remember one of those spirit letters, it said, <laughs> it's, it's, so many of these religious people trying to do the work of God. It said, and that's the problem now. <laughs> They're trying to do my job. <laughs> right. They said, let, let me do God's work and, and, and you do your work. Don't worry about my work. <laughs> yeah, it's the journey, you know, and, and I'm going to put something in the chat here. So I all of everything's not published. OK, and I get these definitions and I'm creating a dictionary out of it. And the definitions always come in the same formula. So these definitions are of spiritual qualities. And the formula is this. There's something that we bring to the table that meets up with something that's already here, that the universe has already provided, but, we, but we're missing it. And then it explains what is that action, what is that activity that we have to do to hook up with what's already here so that we can see and experience the spiritual quality as who we are. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna write in here the, the, the definition for gratitude, because this is wearing me out right now. <laughs> I'm going to say it a couple of times and then I'm going to type it. It said gratitude is where, and it always describes it as where, like a place in consciousness that can be anywhere. Gratitude is where your appreciation relishes in the thoroughness of the journey. Mm. Gratitude is mm. where your appreciation relishes in the thoroughness of the journey. So I'm going to type that in for a second and say more about that. Gratitude is where your appreciation, I'm typing fast enough so 
forgive my spelling, relishes in the thoroughness of the journey. So what I've grown to appreciate, um, oh, did that make it to everybody? Uh, I don't see no. that. See it it made it to one person in particular. Okay, let me copy that and put it in here again to everybody. Sorry. Everyone, yeah. I can type it. Good. Please. Gratitude. Oh, here, everyone. Got it. Didn't work. Gratitude <laughs> is where your appreciation relishes in the thoroughness of the journey. In the thoroughness of the journey. So what I've come to realize now is that when I lack gratitude, I'm not appreciating the thoroughness of the journey. <laughs> that is exactly what's happening. And the journey is thorough. Okay? The journey is thorough. And too often we want to use our spiritual practice to escape the journey, to skip steps, to be exempted, to get a hell out, get a, uh, to get a, 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 a get out of hell free card <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. And if you're willing to just be with the journey, and that's part of what the meditation process helps you to do is you're not trying to fix it. You're not trying to change. And I'm not saying don't be an activist now because I'm a, I'm a serious activist. But if you are being an activist from a reactionary standpoint, your work's not going to be lasting. Mm. Pain pushes until vision pulls. Pain pushes until vision pulls. So if you can sit through the pain of it all, do you have a vision that's clear enough that you can act on enough that isn't reactionary, but that is moving in the direction of your surrender, that is moving in the direction of your prayer life, in the sacred essences, that courage is the strength to move in the direction of your surrender. Mm. Courage is the strength to move in the direction of your surrender. So this appreciating the journey of life. Mm. Life itself is good. We make the process of living very hard. But life itself is good. George Washington Carver, we're in Black History Month. George Washington Carver was a black scientist. One of the things that he's noted for is discovering thousands of things literally to do with the peanut. Many of the biofuel techniques that we're doing now were originated from his work and understanding. And I love what he said. He said, anything that you love enough reveals its secrets to you. Mm. 
He said, I love the peanut. <laughs> Anything that you love enough reveals its secrets to you. Okay. If you love food, the spices will reveal their secrets. You love music, they'll reveal its secrets. You love plants, they'll reveal the secrets. The more I love life. And it isn't really so much that the secrets are revealed. They're not hiding. You stop feeling separate from it. You stop feeling separate from it so that the secrets are apparent to you. I see a hand over there with Rhoda. Okay, let me see. Rhoda? Hi. Hi, Rhoda Deb. Hi, Jackie. Hey Thank you. Thank you. Gosh, the question I had seems to have gone by the wayside with that last little anything you love enough will reveal its secrets to you. <laughs> um, I guess one of the things that is coming up for me in this moment and uh, One of the thing, one you know, one of the most painful things, uh, at least so far, I have noticed in my experience is the is grief. And uh, first of all, I am uh, just send my deepest sympathies for your loss, and I am just very curious about what lessons you feel like grief has revealed to you so far. That's a very good question. Um, grief is one of the most powerful emotions that we experience. And there's something about grief that once you get into it, it transcends the time-space continuum. So you find yourself grieving everything, <laughs> like not just one thing, but a lot of things. And I wish that happened to people with love. Like once they really started loving something, all the love, all through their life just came flooding through them and they just had memories of all the love. <laughs> I so wish <laughs> that it worked that way. And I, and I have no explanation for why that's so, like with grief. And I want to say this about grief as well, so that people don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We tend to associate grief with what we've lost. I have found that the deeper grief is often what we didn't have. Let me explain what I mean. If your father dies and you grew up with him, that's one kind of grief. If your father dies and you never met him, that's a whole other kind of grief. Doing couples counseling and all kinds of family counseling for decades, 
long after the couples don't even want to be together anymore. The grief isn't always the loss of the relationship that they did have, but the letting go of the dream of the relationship they thought it could have been. That's what takes harder to die. Is the, what I thought it could have been. That's you with parents and their kids or like whatever. So part of what I feel like I've looked, and the thing with grief also is that, you know, you can read books about it. It, It's got stages, you know, denial and, and anger and like all these different things that you go through. But what I can tell you is that it comes in waves and you never know when it's going to hit you. I would say treat it like somebody in the ocean where they just kind of go into it and it, whoo, it washes over them. <laughs> if you try to hold up against it, it will bowl you over. Just kind of roll with it and whatnot as it comes. What I have learned through grief is to appreciate the thoroughness of the journey. Okay? Because grief makes you think about a lot of things. And it makes you see stuff. It it expands my heart because I feel more. Even the sense of the vulnerability or not wanting to be where I am my capacity to feel enlarges with grief. My my, my sheer capacity to hold more of life and life's experience. For myself, I have found that grief expands my compassion a lot because in that grief I start to become so aware of what other people have gone through Um, missed opportunities It, it there's a shared experience that comes with grief And it's not the most fun thing in the world, but I have learned through the years how to manage it so I don't feel like it's going to, you know, suck me under for like all eternity. But I will tell you this. I've spent over 20 years going inside prisons and working with, with inmates there very closely. 
And as fate would have it, they've all been men's prisons. One in particular that we've gone to the most in, in California. We mistake rage and anger for grief. I've noticed that in riots, too. Being a black person as many times as we've rioted. A lot of times it's grief. And we don't know what to do with the grief. (laughs) And it comes out sideways is rage and anger. Um, And I dare say a lot of those guys are in prison over stuff that they did when they didn't know how to grieve. You know? So it'll teach you something. That which I can guarantee you. You may not learn these things that I've learned, but it's not a useless emotion. (laughs) It's part of the thoroughness of the journey. And the more you just embrace it, the more you'll get out of it. Thank you. That was beautiful. Beautiful. I just just ask you to expand on one. The very start of it, you said, and of course, I will say it incorrectly, but this is how it landed here, that you wished it landed for people as a sense of just love, just remembering the love of it all. Well, what I said was that there is a way that when people grieve, it brings up all their grief, regardless of the time. So whatever, this thing happens to me and now I'm grieving my guppy and my puppy and my boyfriend or my girlfriend, you know, first, first love, like all these things come rushing through. And my comment was that, that the way that people experience grief and the way that they experience love is not the same. And that I wish that when people started to feel a little bit of love, that it overwhelmed them as much as grief does. (laughs) That it brought to memory all of the other love that they have experienced. (laughs) That was my point, is that I wish, and I don't know why, I, 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 I have no idea why the reaction, at least here in America, that's the only place I've ever lived, tends to be, differentiated between those two. Thank you for clarifying that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. You know, um, I I really did want to go back and ping a little bit on something you were uh, mentioning earlier. I'm going to find the, uh, it it was in the chat that um, Anna put. um, Yeah, about gratitude and appreciation uh, is where your appreciation relishes in the thoroughness of the journey. And um, um, you 
I, I don't know if it's safe to say that you've been on your a journey from um, leaving the physical space where you all were with inner light um, and the changes there. Um, and then just listening to what you've said before about the different stages of, 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 of changes and still being able to be gra- grateful for whatever, where, wherever you are. So <clears throat> could you talk a little bit about making that shift from you were in a space at one point uh, with, with your ministry, a uh, physical space, and now you've have to, you've had to shift. Life has happened in a way where you've had to, to shift to doing things a little differently. So could you share a little bit about your journey with that with us? Yes. So back in 2003, my spiritual community, Inner Light, bought a church property. Um, we had been visioning and, and this was it. I mean, there was no question like this was to be, you know, our place. Um, so we've been here since then. We decided for various reasons to sell the property. And it literally has taken six years, four escrows and six years for the property to close escrow with the approvals for another development here. It's three and a half acres, it's two buildings, about 15,000 square feet. Escrow closed at the end of September, 2021. And we have to be out of here by the end of April. We were able to stay an extra six months like rent free. So we're physically still here, but in that process of letting the stuff go, because we're not going to go into another center, you know, like this. There's going to be a three-story senior assistant living complex here with about 70 beds. Um, It's going to be a very, very good usage for the property. But it also means that everything's going to come down. The sanctuary seats about 600. It's in the round. Um, It's very beautiful inside and acoustically sound. But the infrastructure of it's not. This whole facility, even the people who built it, vacated it two years before we found it. So the plumbing, the roofs, everything is just falling apart. I, I, I say it's like Lazarus. We raised this place from the dead another 20 years and it's just crying out. Let me go. Let me go. So even if we were to stay here, we would have to rebuild the thing. But this is huge. This is a huge shift. I drove in from Los Angeles today. I told you I've been down there for my mother and I just basically drove right into here. And I wish I stopped at a friend's house along the way. And and I said to her, I said, this is weird. It's 11 o'clock and my sermon, my church service is airing right now and I'm not there and I'm completely disoriented from doing this thing that we've done every Sunday. And we're doing a lot of pre-recording now. But I tell you what's really happening What's happening is following the breadcrumbs, so to speak. Life is changing. Life is shifting. 
We thought that we were going to be moving right before COVID hit, literally. And then that transaction fell through because of COVID. But what I know is that for our spiritual community and for the people whom we most serve, that it's better for us to take it to the streets, so to speak, for us to have it much more nimble and available and accessible than trying to get everybody to come like through these doors and just be here. So since COVID, our virtual community has really skyrocketed. And I'm a movement gal at heart. I really am. So as much as it pains me not to have this place, everything about us we're finding other ways to do. So for example, our food bank, where we would pump out like 8,000 pounds of food every week on Thursdays. We're now gonna team up with another church. And they actually have a whole section that can be like just ours. It's gonna start this Thursday. Um, so it's like everything will get done, but it may be done just a little bit differently. And what I know for me personally is that I'm not a parish priest, that my calling has always been global. My calling has always been bigger than a locale. I tell people COVID shattered all of my plans. But my dreams are coming true now. Mm. My dreams are coming true. And, and what I can tell you is just that life happens. I've been doing this 27 years of being in the pulpit. And it's, it's just time for something else. Do I grieve it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, all the time. I've had years now to like grieve it. I don't know how I'm going to feel when the wrecking balls come. I, I, I honestly don't. But what I do know is something that the sacred yes says in there, the spirit letters. It says you don't have to know where you're going to know you're headed in the right direction. So I, I don't know where all of this leads, but I know that we're headed in the right direction. Because the more that we have let go of the brick and mortar, the more creative we've become. And the more opportunities we've been engaging in. And I think that's true for all circumstances, if we have the courage to follow divine order and right action as part of the thoroughness of the journey, there's another line. It's a little tongue twister, but it's also in the sacred yes, where it says, in your willingness to be anything, you can be everything. Mm. 
even if it isn't the something you thought you wanted to be. In your willingness to be anything, you can be everything, even if it isn't the something you thought you wanted to be. And that's where I am now. Mm. That's, that's absolutely beautiful. Um, and I know we only have a few more minutes left. Doreen, I think you had your hand up. Did you still have a question? Hi, Reverend Deborah. Um, I don't know if we'll have time for, for, for you to answer my question, but um, first of all, thank you for being here. I really appreciated the talk. Um, I often think about on the spiritual journey, these pivotal points that we face as we're on the, the spiritual journey, those points where um, right choice point, you know, we either move through it or are we turn around, right? And so I, my question for you, if you have time, I understand if, if you may not, is what do you feel was the most profound pivotal point? in your journey, in your spiritual journey, and kind of what were the circumstances around it? I'd say there, I mean, there have been a bunch of profound pivotal turning points, but the one that I mentioned um, when the letters started coming to me, when I was surrendering to ministry and having to come to groups with my life, I wasn't healed. I wasn't healed. I'd done a lot of spiritual bypass. And my life wasn't right. I, I'd started to step into pulpits and I was running around on my wife and 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 just not in alignment, you know, and my life wasn't integrated. The, the spiritual stuff over here and the political stuff over here and the business stuff over there and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and living a life in the closet in my earlier years didn't help because that tendency to want to like lie and hide and not be transparent about my heart and my feelings and what I'm up to and with whom and where. Man, I that all it's like all of that had to get really, really, really cleaned up. So it took surrender, it took years and years of therapy, it took the divine, it took spiritual practice. I mean, it took everything because I didn't know I had an inner child, I, I had an inner family, I had no idea, I didn't know any of that stuff, I didn't know this all of the multidimensionality of life and all of that. I, I didn't know that I was busy in control, running fast, you know, doing my thing. And 40 kind of just, bam, this came along and knocked me on my butt. <laughs> and it was hard. It was really hard. There's no question about it. But what I know is that at some point, if you really want a fulfilled life, you have to say yes. You got to say yes. And trust that yes knows where it's going. And you just do what's in front of you. You don't get to know everything, but just do what's in front of you. 
Thank you. Thank you, Doreen. And, um, you know, we are, we are at time and that was just a perfect, the most perfect way to end that, to just say yes and to trust and to surrender. So thank you so much, uh, Reverend. Uh, Can Reverend. I? Yes, please. I just want to invite people. There's, there's two things you might be interested in. One is I just started last Thursday, my next series that uses the sacred yes and uses the letters. And it's not too late to get into that. Like, you know, go to that info and you can get information about that. Um, also, I do a lot of social justice work and I have a workshop coming up starting on March 16th um, for seven Wednesdays. It starts at four o'clock um, p.m. Um, Pacific time. It's called Healing Divides. Mm-hmm. It's very interactive. And I work with colleagues and you're in learning pods and exercises and whatnot. But it's where we take this stuff that we're learning now on a personal level and on the collective level, you know, as well. So I do have some workshops coming up if anybody's interested. Thank you so much. And people can, it is in the chat if you missed it. Um, You can also find that information at, can they find it at DeborahJohnson.org? Yeah. And I would say, check out Interlight Ministries. Okay. Keep doing that again. Can Can somebody put Interlight Ministries in there? All that social media and and all of that, all of that's there, too. Wonderful. Again, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for being available and thank you for sharing, which has truly touched our hearts. So thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you, too.